0: can you do your best Australian accent yeah. hi there um it's Dave and John welcome to Dadville we're glad to have you I, I can't do the Australian accent. I, I get I get it's, it's I can do British yeah I feel like yeah you do you can
1: right I can do British Yeah, you can do
0: British <laughs> well <laughs> it gets. It gets, <laughs> it gets real lazy, right? Right. That's right. I, it gets real. Co- I, the company, is going to live in a We're offending so many, so people. many
2: people.
1: But why can't I do British? It's, I don't know. Oh, you mean Australian? I mean Australian. Yeah, you've already
2: no, lived there. People,
1: people listening, were <laughs> like, like, no, no, I'm with you. I don't know why you can't do British, but you're
0: sure trying. Man, Australia. So, so some of the backstory with with our guest today that's fun. There that are fun facts about John and I, especially John, is that both of these blokes. Uh, um, are Aussies. They are Aussies, yeah. Um That's the only thing I can, can say. say in like baby. Um, I can say mates in Australian. Yeah. That's it. Um but both of these guys are from Australia. And and fun fact you might not know about John is John has spent a lot
1: of time there. He he's taken his family twice now. Man, let's think about this. Luca uh Luca has been 3 or 4 times. Is it Louis. really that many times? Yeah, Livy's been twice. Okay. Because uh, some of you might know Bobby Stamper, Bobby Lee Stamper. He used to be in my band and his wife Lauren Stamper or Lozzy. I the Lozzy. I the uh, we all went to school together or university as they university. say. Yeah. And became best friends and we best loved mates. them and so we yeah, right. we've been over there many many times. I, I think
0: I've been over there 6 times. Have, how long have you been
1: for long like for a month? Uh,
0: three or four. Okay, so it is a lot. I, so I the first, knew, I knew first time we went over there,
1: actually, Luca's first birthday was over there, and we spent two months. Yeah, And we spent Christmas there. Holy cow! Was a, that was a big swing. Take for that the family. family. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
0: take that. Sorry, mom. I did. Dananda. <laughs> um, but um, so this one's this one's. I, I, Andy and I, have been for just for a, a week, which was such a fun week. This is pre K, pre kids. Um, so you know, Pre-K. there's an affinity. <laughs> there's an affinity for um for the Aussies for
1: the all. Oh, is I just it love it. Here's the thing, they have. We always go to this place called Cronulla, mm. and they have. I probably say this in the interview, but they they have just such a great pace of yeah, life, yeah. and they also yeah. have it coupled with great coffee. Yes, which those are my two. Which feels
0: like it's going to contradict because once exactly. that caffeine hits, how do think they? It's how are they so laid back
1: when they drink so much coffee? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, wow. We should ask that.
0: Um, but these, you know, if if you are. It all in a church, or you sing any kind of hymns or church music. You know Hillsong because they are um, synonymous with just amazing, huge church music, and especially current hymns, kind of like the songs that the, you know, if, if the young,
1: yeah, the kids they're like, are they're putting in. out like our current hymns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Some really amazing music.
0: And so two of these guys, actually the two of these guys, the only two guys we are interviewing <laughs> succinctly, um, are are part of uh, those songs and have had a lot to do with a lot of those songs and are also dads. One of the things that was fun for me as I thought about this interview is, um I just didn't know. I don't know, John, are Australian dads the same as American dads? I, don't know. I would like to think so. That's why um, I've gone
1: down there so much to kind of observe and take <laughs> notes and then come back and study in the habitat idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Look at these dads yeah, living right. in the habitat. Um uh sidebar so 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 these guys, true to Australian form, if you get a chance to go, and John can really speak a lot of authority to this, it really is going to Australia is so much fun because it just feels like everybody are the coolest people you've ever met. Like they're so chill, they're so fun. Yeah. They're, they're always down for like hanging and laughing and tickling
1: and surfing in <laughs> and that look, order. Here's the thing: Any time I get comments on my clothing? It's always something that I bought. bought,
0: That's true with me and you. I I guarantee you nine out of the times. I'm like, dude, would you get that shirt? You're like, oh, I got it in in Oz. Um, But um, sidebar, one of the things this has nothing to do with anything. um, But one of the things that's really fun about the Australian accent is then trying to nail the New Zealand accent Mm -mm. because that's a lot of bad head. Idea, Fred, did you get any beard last night? That's not bad, actually. I should have done this for a living. <laughs> it's not bad at all. <laughs> but um, It's this...
1: not bad. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> it's not bad. It's not beat. I did, Dave. I did, <laughs> So, anyway, this was a really, really fun um, interview. Scott and Ben were both really true to form. Very, very, very funny. And very... I can't
1: remember which one, because one, one of them was in L.A. at the time. Scott. So Ben had to get up at yeah wasn't it super super early yeah, in the 5 morning it was like five I in think, the morning yeah, there it yeah. was still dark
0: yeah we caught him sleeping a couple times
1: yeah so if you don't hear him speak for a little while <laughs> he is
0: sleeping he was asleep. <laughs> so not the first guest not the first guest and and we should add and I think most importantly one of the reasons that we wanted to have them on is they have a book that they've put out um, a children's book which is really really great and. uh and you know, fits obviously what we're doing really well. So, so we want to give a little shout out to that. We talk, John and I reprimanded ourselves before we recorded this intro because they're always too long, and uh, and this <laughs> and one is we, maybe even longer are. than all the ones we've done. Um, but <laughs> I'm just making it longer. But uh, the the book is great. We, but we don't want to rehash what's in there. It's called "What a Beautiful Name." It's a really great book. We don't want to rehash what we talk about in there. That was John's big takeaway. He was like, Dave, we just can't. We can't do an intro where we just talk about everything in the, in the uh, actual podcast, which this is long. But we actually didn't do that. I will give us credit we for didn't. that.
1: We didn't. Yeah.
0: We didn't. Yeah. So,
1: so we got half of what we <laughs> wanted to accomplish. <laughs> you know what, guys? It's Let's a long, make it short and don't repeat long. ourselves. We're gonna really double down on not repeating ourselves.
0: But uh, yeah, so um, so anyway, it was fun having these. Uh, criminals from the criminal island on to dadville they're great guys great dads and and really really great songwriters so um this was this was sort of a three for three for us so enjoy your time in Dadville. so this is kind of a this is a big first for us here at dadville for a couple things first we have interview by committee which i like it's it's two on two it's a two v two it's a doubles match uh And we've never done
1: an interview with two people before, yeah, ever.
2: Yep.
0: So you guys are the test run.
2: So happy to be a first. We're happy. And we've only prepared
1: questions for one of you. Yeah,
0: so that (laughs) we we should. Let's just kind of start there. And we're going to throw it out. And it's just chum in the water. Whoever gets there first gets to answer it.
3: Absolutely.
1: We FedExed you guys each a button. (laughs) Did you get those?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Got it right here. The big blue one, right?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's it. The other thing that's exciting about this is this is the first time we've had some Aussies. This is the uh, south of the border. This is the first time we get to have some genuine, real, real Southern people. Good, act. <laughs> yeah. very, very. Southern
3: to people. that point, though, I remember um, about ten years ago when I moved to um, America and I was a novelty. But I feel like we're an infestation now. Don't you feel like Aussies are everywhere?
0: No, <laughs> I don't. Get, I, I mean, honestly, we don't get enough.
1: I mean, dude, probably late. where you are, yes.
3: Yeah, but I would say yeah, especially
1: where Ben is.
3: Yeah, we're a dime a dozen.
1: No, I can't get enough of it. I love the accent. Now, th- this is a dumb question because I think I'm going to be disappointed, but is our accent, does it, do, does it do anything for you guys? Do you like the American accent?
2: Now that you mention it, um, I find it quite emotive, very stirring. Hmm.
1: Oh, that's kind of you to say. I have this whole theory,
0: by the way, sidebar. Maybe this is a terrible way to start this thing, but I have this whole theory about why when everybody sings, it sounds American. Yep. And I think it's because, stay with me, I'm just, this is me riffing. I think it's because music, pop music started in the States with blues, right? And then as it traveled everywhere, especially across the channel, if you will, across the pond, uh, as the England, Englanders picked it up, they only were mimicking what they heard. Once the bottom of that thing got built out like it did, and everybody was listening to blues from America to turn into pop music eventually. They just heard words sung American-wise, and then everybody was just like, cool, let's, that's the way you sing that from now on. Yeah. And it's cool now because obviously that's changed a lot, and there's people who have really thick accents that sing from both Australia and England and everywhere. But uh, it fascinated forever, and I was like, I wonder if that's it. I wonder because it was blues, and everybody obviously got hip to blues and then made pop music from blues. That Everybody was like, yeah, I guess that's how you sing the word love. <laughs> so I'm just gonna like totally tweak right. my accent. I'm gonna chuck my accent to the side and honor blind Willie Johnson by singing love like he does. Oh, sweet blind Willie. I miss him so much. But um here's how we focus, folks. Here's how we pull this in. We are thrilled to have you guys, I wanna say. This is this is a really fun we're both excited about the two-on-two. Two.
1: The McLaughlin house is is filled with Hillsong at any given moment. I think last year our Spotify top three was hill song uh dave barnes dreaming in electric blue (laughs) and uh the trolls soundtrack movie soundtrack
0: wow which all of them were inspired by each other
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah they kind of i think that was the trifecta for a lot a lot of people but we're we are so excited to have you guys um love hill song and it's cool because you guys unlike us who are out there in the world shouting our own name uh, to anyone who will hear, just <laughs> literally making sure everyone has my website. You guys are—you do the same thing. You're musicians, but you're not out there shouting your own name out there. You're—you're you're with Hillsong, and you've written these. I have massive... shouted
2: name quite a bit, which can be kind of weird.
1: I, I will send that check,
2: by the way, Ben. Yeah.
0: Just so you know, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming with a button.
1: You've written these massive songs like "Mighty to Say, "What a Beautiful Name," "Who You Say I Am," "Something in the Water," "King of Kings." Massive songs that are, that the songs themselves, you know, carry the fame and the notoriety. And you guys aren't necessarily up there, you know, trying to get your own, trying to sell your, your own sweatshirts, you know. <laughs> so, um, what a great qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious. So, right off the bat, why do you think Hillsong has been so ubiquitous, so successful, for lack of a better word?
2: Well, I mean, I think the the first thing that comes to mind is I don't know, and I think that there's you know, in some respects, it's a bit of a mystery to anyone that is involved because when you get close enough to to ask to all of the people that are involved, you realize that probably can't be it, and you realize that that it's got to be. There's got to be something that that God's definitely doing um, in and through uh, the church, but I do think that like the you know the central thing is that like, kind of like what you were saying, I think that people, I think what people are connecting with, uh, is the message of the songs they're connecting with, um, the gospel, which is, you know, it's attractive. Um, and I think if we're, if we're sort of getting out of the way as much as we can and leaving people with that central thing, um, then I think it's also, it can be a timeless, a timeless thing as well.
3: It's definitely something we talk about a lot though. A lot of the times, like people will be sitting around and And the same question will come up. It's like there's actually no real reason that there's there's no one reason that you can point to why we've been all wrapped up in this story. But the only thing that I would say from, you know, if I was to look at like my contemporaries, like Brent, I wouldn't even call him a contemporary, but I look at the the guys who've gone ahead and and written these massive songs, is that there is a sense of this being like Sparta in a sense where you, what I love about our culture is everybody's very, like, submits a song or shows a song not thinking that they're the best in the room and there's something about the standard that reinforces the standard does that make sense like you're not walking in going I have I have the sauce boys wait till you hear this wait till you hear this one wait
0: small aside were the sauce boys the competitors for the spice girls
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did get an email they opened up on like every tour that they had that makes sense that just didn't hit didn't they spoiled but there's got to be and I'm jumping ahead here cuz uh, we want to go back and talk about childhood and all that kind of stuff but as musicians though there's got to be a part of you that says cuz the music is amazing. I mean there's there's lots of worship music out there. There's lots of it. And it's all, you know, written maybe not all, but you know, you could have a heart of gold, right? And write a song and it might just not be the greatest song so is is there is there a part of you guys that feels some kind of tension with like the musician inside and also sort of like the pastors inside where it's like the musician wants to be like well yeah i mean this music guys i think i do have the greatest song today like you wait till you hear this bridge wait till you hear this melody or whatever you know what i mean is is that at all taboo to be like well let's downplay them you know the music
3: we were in la and we we're doing um, some writing before we were i think it was the week before we were going to record um two albums ago and i remember ben as humble as he is uh we were sitting in our house and ben's like oh, i've got this song that i've written with ruben and then i remember he showed us the demo of who you say i am and i remember brooke and i going um like because i mean we were listening through probably what 30 40 songs ben and then that was one of them and i remember. Everybody was like, like, you well, know, Brooke and I were like, yeah, that's a really great song. It's a really great song. Like, that's great. But if I was going to be completely honest, within the 30 or 40, it's not like you, like we gave you the reaction, Ben, that I feel like the song deserved. And then it was the next morning when it was about an hour before we were due to go into the studio and start recording. And I put on the same demo CD that might have it, those 30, 40 songs. And Who You Say Am came on. And it was this demo. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I pulled the the car over to the side and I called Brooke and I was like, do you remember the song that Ben showed us yesterday? And she's like, oh, my goodness, I was about to dial you and I'm listening to it now. The song is incredible. She's like, this is the first song because this is the first song that we have to record for this album. Like this has to be the standard setter. So it's funny because they did have the song. And then they came in and showed it amongst the thirty or forty songs, and he was just like, "All right, well, that's great. I feel like there's something." You know, Ben, as humble as he is, he's like, "I feel like there's something there." And I felt like it deserved a better reaction than what it got initially, but then it went on to be. Do you say?
1: Do you feel like that, Ben? Do you remember when everybody was listening to it for the first time?
2: You remember thinking like,
1: "Okay, I thought that would get a little bit more <laughs> of a reaction." <laughs>
2: No, I mean, that's the thing that's so hard. You know, like Scotty was saying, we we're listening to like 30, 40 songs. And so I think, um, you know, when there's so much like coming at you, like – it's, it is hard sometimes to kind of hear through. and um, But I do appreciate the opportunity today to talk to Scotty about this. This has been kind of a sore point. For <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: just the whole I'm,
2: I'm glad here. you guys be here to kind of help counsel us through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We're only going to use feeling words and colors. Okay? <laughs> yeah. If you need to, an animal to represent how you feel. And that's fair play too, okay? Let's stay away from venomous and or deadly things, but continue.
3: And to put into context that, like Ben wasn't showing us to get approved. Uh, like Ben, if Ben believes in a, in a song and he comes and, and he's like, guys, I really want to run this song, then the song gets run. You know what I mean? Like he has that. He, so he wasn't showing for approval. He was just showing like this is what we had. But it was just funny that a song that has been so wide-reaching, it's such a massive song, was caught up in this demo phase where it's like, no, that's a really great solid song kind of. There's nothing wrong with this song. And it was only when we when we singled it out on its own that it became the song that we all know it is today. That would be,
0: I I think I would feel, I mean, this is why you guys do what you do and I don't, but I think I would feel so much pressure (laughs) selecting songs. It's like people looking at you like, what's the next song everybody in the world's going to sing? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's down to five. (laughs)
2: Uh,
0: uh, uh, You know, is it minor? I like a minor song in there, but does the world need a minor song? You know, it's like, at what point are you just kind of like, uh, I think I just really like this one right here or whatever. That would feel like that would be so, I mean, you guys are such a standard to your to your exact quote, which I love what you said, Scott, like the idea that you guys are such standard setters in some way for what's happening. You know, like I just think I would be like, that would feel so heavy. I just feel like <laughs> we can't get this wrong. You know, what if there is that song we sort of pass? I mean, obviously God knows what he's doing and he's in charge of everything, but that would be a pretty heavy burden i would think you know well it's
3: just easy you just
2: pick any song that ben has written that's all <laughs> we have to do <laughs> yeah. but th- we've definitely missed songs you know the, the other one that comes to mind is yeah. um, cornerstone mm-hmm. which um now is like one of you know one of the great songs that have um, come out of our of our church but i remember the first time we did it it was like you know it was led in church and it was okay and we did it for a few weeks and then we like all kind of got together and Ruben was like, let's just pull the song. Everyone's like, I think we're making the right choice. So the song got pulled out of church and um, it wasn't until about four months later um, we were doing like a recording for a chapel project that we were working on and we were looking for a new song to put on it and um, we were like, we should do that, that song Cornerstone. And Ruben was like, no, no. Like he was like, you know, once bitten, twice shy. He's like, we're not doing Cornerstone. Cornerstone's finished, you know? (laughs) And, um, we did it and it just something like happened in the room it was amazing and then the next weekend we did it back in church again the whole church is singing it and i don't know what happened same song but it just something it caught momentum it caught like i don't know you know you could say like maybe god did something like breathe on the song and um but it just took on this new new life that is
3: crazy there's so many of those i did oceans was the same that oceans you know it was on oceans song that was the last song to make the album where, and it was only, um, I remember it sat around for a while and, and it didn't have finished lyrics. And it was only uh, Mikey Guy, Michael Guy chisler who produces the album talked to Joel and he was like, You need to finish this song. There's something on this song. It was the last song to be finished for the album and it was the last song to go on it. It almost wasn't wild, right? That's one of my
1: favorite songs like
3: yeah. of all time. That's a yeah, great that one. song.
1: Okay, let's go back just and get, we always like to kind of get a flyover of you know childhood where did you guys grow up let's start there
2: so i grew up in uh melbourne victoria in the northwestern suburbs and um it's a it's a beautiful part of the world there's a park across the road where friday nights saturday nights people come and do burnouts in their cars (laughs) and uh it's a safe place to play as well when you're a kid um and so that's where i grew up melbourne victoria
3: dodging cars yeah (laughs) like a game. Yeah, and I grew up in Sydney um at Bondi in Bondi Beach. And then uh we moved out west to the suburbs because my mum's like there was this big drug epidemic or so my mum thought in like um you know sweeping the, the the Sydney beaches and she's like my kids not going to be a drug taker like so we moved out to uh the suburbs but we moved to the poorer part of uh, the suburbs where um, drugs were readily available, you know what I mean? So uh, it kind of backfired on her. But then, um, you know, I grew up there and, and then when I was when I left school, I moved back to Bondi for a while. And
0: did y'all, did y'all both grow up in church, not grow
2: up, half grow up? Yeah, I did. My, my family um, went to a little Baptist church. We used to take over the, this little school room and my dad and I would go. We'd open up the, the doors, we'd set the chairs up in the morning, the plastic chairs. Um, we'd do church, then we'd pack them down. And um it was, you know, it was that was that was church for me for pretty much most of my my life. And then um I went basically from that uh to so I moved to Sydney and I remember um the only people that I knew were people that went to our church, Hillsong Church. So I went from this church that was basically, you know, 50 people, schoolroom to, you know, thousands and thousands of people and um that was there was a little bit of whiplash, you know it's yeah, like, I was
0: gonna <laughs> say the amount of people that went to your church were then suddenly on stage playing guitars, singing yeah. playing drums
2: <laughs> All on a, just, just the acoustic guitar plans <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> unbelievable.
0: I did notice we were listening to uh who you say I am this weekend, one of our like church songs is we just been pulling up YouTube clips and it's y'all, you know, singing it. And I literally, I I had a moment where I, I was so out of the moment. Cause I was like one, two, three, four, five. Okay. I hadn't seen her. That's six, seven, eight, nine. I was just counting all the people on stage. And I, I, I I was so, it was like a minute. I was like, Oh wow. He hadn't seen him. That's nine, 10. Okay. 11. No. Okay. He's that's Brooke. She's, I already count? No, I didn't count I was twelve. Okay. Uh, and it was like a solid minute of me going, "How many people do they have on the <laughs> stage? This is insanity!" Like, how, and I, I get so, I get just as fascinated by it, just the mechanics. <laughs> just like if everybody's got like black tape on that's like <laughs> if you move, you're gonna get nailed by the headstock of that base. <laughs> like, doubt there's gonna be stitches. If you move out your
3: corner. <laughs> It's a little bit like that. So definitely a little bit like that, right, Ben? There's been some casualties, for sure. (laughs) You've lost. had had stuck casualties.
1: (laughs) Head-stuck casualties. Side note, can we do a side note here and talk about uh, worship fails? Oh, Oh,
0: my gracious. Dave just
1: sent me a worship fails thing yesterday. I don't know if any Instagram account right now will make me laugh harder than worship fails. There's something that is so, like... Those of us who grew up in the church, it especially, is... <laughs> it just hits so close to home. I oh, my gosh. So just like quickly, this is a side note, but you guys must have like a quick worship fail story that you can tell.
2: I just got so many. I think I'm with you. That that account to me, just it just reminds me of, of the goodness of God. I don't know. It like... <laughs> just humbles everyone. <laughs> yeah.
1: Bring everybody down
2: i was thinking on the way here like if you know even just growing up in church that like the worship fail it just it's it's a part of every everyone's upbringing if you grow up in church like, like every weekend there's a worship fail and they basically like, they just fluctuate from like absolute like casualty to like moderate casualty and i was thinking about just this communion item on my way literally driving in to do this today and um that happened when I was a kid. And I still don't to this day really know why we did that song. But there's this guy who had two um, two daughters and like they came here, they set up this we're gonna take communion together. And then this backing track came on. The two girls are there ready to sing, and they started doing under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Do they mean
0: Sea, sea for communion, maybe?
2: <laughs> I don't know. But like so on one hand you're kinda like, you know, scratching your head, the other hand you're kinda tapping along, because that's actually quite a good performance of the song. It's a hit
1: song too. I mean it's they a chose song. well. Big song. Yeah. It's not like they it's not like they went with, with like an original that they had just worked on or something. No, you know.
2: No, it's a proven song.
0: <laughs> you could have literally given me 50 guesses. <laughs> Maybe a hundred. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, you could have said, I'm gonna give you hundred guesses. You could have given me even the, the year. You could have been like in you know ninety two, whatever that was, eighty nine, and I would have gotten the cash prize as well. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you like your house mortgage gone? If
3: you get it? You could you gone. could have it's even
0: give mortgage. me it's aquatic themed, <laughs> and I still. <laughs> good lord, that's funny. <laughs> God. You know, what? sorry, I have to say this. You know what else I love about those moments? <laughs> Guys just makes me laugh because I'm a preacher's kid who grew up in church, so this is like so many things are happening. but the other moment I love about that the other thing I love about that moment rather is that there <laughs> there's so much confusion for a kid you're feeling so many things because you're like, <gasps> They can't play that's under the seat. This is terrible. Life would be better. Dumb. And you're kind of moving. You're like, oh, my God, is it a sin that I'm sort of celebrating this song? There's so <laughs> many.
3: There's so much conflict <laughs> happening in one form. They're my favorite type of fails, though. It's not necessarily when something goes wrong, but when somebody's had a private moment when they've gotten really jazzed on their idea and it just has not translated in a corporate setting. <laughs> the best. <laughs> I live for that. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I guess one of my favorite things, this is terrible guy. I'm going to have to talk to Jesus about this in heaven someday, but I I played drums at this worship conference thing when I was in college a couple of years in a row. And there was this kid who played piano, the quiet kid. Like he was that really sweet little quiet guy, but he was an incredible piano player. And I remember one of the guys who knew him really well, because it was like, a, we all kind of came from different places to play together. And everyone was like, Hey Bill, like, uh, that thing during the during the invitation at night and he's going all right cool and we're all like what's he gonna do And there he was like just wait and so he's playing these really you know he's like and if the lord is stirring in your heart and you kind of hear the piano start playing and I was like is that the theme to Gilligan's island <laughs> like it, but he would play it where like he would shift you know the chords on the left so it was like minor instead of major you know relative minor six instead of <laughs> and, and you'd be like <laughs> and so every oh, time genius. he did the invitation that weekend, it would uh, be like Sanford and Son, the Jefferson, some American show that, that you knew if you were listening. But if you didn't, people out there, like,
2: mm.
0: <laughs> and it was like, I felt so bad and I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> uh,
3: and brilliant. I had so much
0: respect for him. It was incredible. So, Scott, did you grow up in church too? What, what was y'all's story?
3: No, I didn't. I didn't grow up in a ha- Like, there was no faith in my house. <laughs> when I found church, I found Hillsong, and I didn't mean to find it. They're just, uh, I used to skateboard every second that I wasn't in school. And, and uh, there was no good skate parks around where we lived. But um, on a Friday night, there would be this like youth thing that would build, like, basically bring out all these ramps in this car park. And so I got hustled along to that and then realized there was a, a youth group attached to that, which was Hillsong Church. You know, and that's where I came to faith. And then, I didn't know a thing when I made a decision to follow Christ. And it took me—it sounds like I'm lying, but it took me six months to even realize there was a church attached to the Friday night. I thought these massive buildings was all for this thing that I would come to for two hours on a Friday night that I had a, a skate park. And so, um, I found my church, my church family, and my church people, and and the rest is history.
1: So, how old were you when you started going to this?
3: It's been such an interesting journey because I would have been 15, maybe just on the cusp of 14, 15. You know, there's people who like this exact date. Yeah. Like I don't, I can't remember my exact date because I was thinking about the skate park. But uh, yeah, it was around 14, 15. But I never really, I never really left. You know. And um, what's been interesting, even like if I, if I recount now, think back, like even how I got started writing songs. Like I wasn't a musician. The first time I even picked up an instrument was when I was 18. And the craziest thing about that, I think, the first time my song was—the uh, first song that I had published—was at 17 years old. I remember because I would, I would draw and I would paint and I would create and things like that. And then Joel Houston, um, which many people know from Hillsong United, you know, we were good friends. And he came to me and he's like, "Man, like, what if you applied your creativity to songs?" And I was like, "Cause because I loved music. Like, I loved music. Um, couldn't sing, but I loved I'd loved listening to music. And we would talk about music all the time." And so I remember hearing um, a song that, like, that kind of like got thrown in the trash. It was like they had this idea, but I remember the music from it. I remember writing like, like some words and some melodies to that. And I came back and showed them, like I literally played them their instrumental and go, what if we sung this? And what if we did this? And then it became a song that got published. So the, the funny thing is, is the first song that I got published, I didn't even know how to play on an instrument. And then you fast forward now and, and you know, I'm 37 years old and all of it was by accident. None of it was by my own design. And you're like, that sure. song
0: is called Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome, planet Earth.
0: <laughs> what was it like in each of y'all's respective families growing up? We always love kind of, as we talk about dadville and eventually get to y'all's parenting, and we're going to really judge that, by the way, like what... Um, <laughs> What was, what was, what were each of y'all sort of family units like? Like what was the dynamic? What was the relationship with your parents? Like, you know, that kind of-
2: my mom and dad, um, we grew up in the same house. They're still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. They probably live, I reckon within, you know, five, 10 minutes of where they grew up as well. So my family's very much like they're, they're based in the same, same area. Um, all my aunties and uncles live nearby, and so I was sort of the first person to defect, you know, leave the family bubble. Yeah, so you know, mum and dad, like we were a close family growing up. Um, my, my dad was an engineer turned teacher and my mum was a primary school teacher. So education was a big deal in my home. And um, my mum cooked like pretty much most of the time up until I can remember I was about maybe six or seven years old and dad discovered the kitchen. And from that point on, he would try to dominate the kitchen, but he only had one beer. And so I remember like coming home and I'd walk in the door and I could smell the smell of my, that my dad was back behind behind the stove. And like literally like fear and like sadness would fill feel, would feel my soul as I could smell. Like what he would do is every night, he would take mincemeat, he would add a tomato sauce of different different types. That was the variety. That was the X factor, if you will. And then <laughs> frozen peas and carrots, always added. <laughs> and my dad loves a He loves a bargain, right? So that loves something on special. So he would go to the shop and depending on which tomato sauce was on sale, that's the one we have for the week. And, <laughs> same with the peas and carrots. So sometimes they were minted, which was kind of a nice little twist.
1: <laughs> was there a name for this particular dish?
2: He never named it. I think like he was happy for us to name it under our breath.
1: Sure. Well it's it sounds like it's ever evolving and changing. So to to name it, it's like hitting a moving target.
0: So, yeah. <laughs>
2: exactly.
1: I just love that your two emotions
2: were fear and
0: sadness. Those are two such succinct emotions to feel at the same time about food. <laughs> oh, that's really funny to me. Holy cow. Was the external family like, were they around too? Was it kind of like the village vibe, like where every, you know, with everybody living so close together?
2: Yeah. So we would, we would get together on the weekends, normally um, like one day with my mom's family, then Sunday nights with my dad's family. Um, so that was pretty, pretty standard growing up. We played a lot of cricket that kept the family together and tore it apart at the same time. And uh, like sport was a massive deal, like growing up. Australian rules football in Victoria is huge. We just call it Australian Rules Football, not the World Series because um, it's only played in Australia.
0: I submit to how ridiculous <laughs> that is. <Continue.
2: laughs> it, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun growing up. What about you, Scotty?
3: Scotty. Well, we actually could not have more different upbringings. So my, uh, uh, my parents separated when I was two and so I'd, I wasn't that close to my dad growing up you know we had some we had some mental illness and stuff to deal with in the family which was we didn't know about until I was older so that was always a confusing time but um, my mom I was really close to my mom I still am to this day like I'd, I'd speak to my mom my mom lives in, um, halfway across the world and I would speak to her every day like it would be uncommon for me to speak to my mom and I had a sister so it would be my mom my sister and myself um, primarily most of the time and And then I would I would see my dad, you know, every other weekend. And my dad had a lot going on, and there was no like physical abuse or anything like that. It was just um, distance. Yeah, but he was awesome. Like I actually learned a lot from my dad, good and bad. But the the good stuff was like my dad was such a builder. He was such a creator. He was really good with his hands. So like he would he was a civil engineer. But then on the weekends he'd just have these jobs where somebody would be like, oh, could you build me a, you know, a boat dock? And he'd just work it work out how to build it, you know, he's that kind of guy. So I remember, you know, uh growing up going on odd jobs with my dad, but learning all of these things and and, and actually I've got a lot to credit to my dad um, for my curiosity. So and then, you know, neither of my neither of my parents um, were Christians, you know. Uh, and then, you know, I'm grateful that I found church at the age that I did. I, I think had I not not just church, obviously Jesus, but like but like uh more so to the church community became like my extended family and, and I had lots of good role models in church and I had a lot of people that would would just um like families that would just keep me around for no good reason, you know. They'd just be like, Hey, we're cooking dinner on the weekend, you wanna come over? And we're like, Great, you know. But it'd be like my friend's sixty year old dad that invited me, not my friend, you know? So they it was it was amazing. and so, and, and I've got a lot to credit to my church community. I really, mm. really do.
0: That's one of the things that I think is so profound about the church as a group of people, mm-hmm. you know, like when, when you really do start to find a home in that group of people, it's so profound. Yeah. It's really profound.
3: Yeah, there's good people, and, um, and I'm a, I'm a testament to good people just being just normal good people in cooking meals. You know, not as creative as Ben's dad, but, you know, <laughs> we can't all be winners, can no. we?
2: No. I'm telling you, man, that could have undone the, the work that God was doing in your life. <laughs> Up until that point, <laughs> hey, massive narrative. <laughs> oh my god!
1: So, so was there any any tension like growing up in a house where you nobody you know went to church, no one, no one was Christians, and then all of a sudden you make this huge shift in your life? What did that do to like the home dynamic?
3: Well, I think it was good for my mom. My mom was always open to things. My, by the way, my mom's uh since then, my both my mom and my sister. Um, I've accepted Christ and are now in wow. church. And yeah, amazing. I've had the privilege to lead them both to the Lord, which is incredible. But my mum was good. I was I was very zealous as a kid. Like, so when I say I accepted Jesus, like I really like it was it was no joke. It was I was you know requesting time at the school assemblies that was not a Christian school that I'd be like, I just want to make an announcement for anyone who doesn't know that Jesus, you know, is alive, oh. and everyone's like, what is this kid on? <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
1: And then you'd go into Under the Sea.
3: Yeah, and then, uh, you know, follow it up with Under the Sea, which was great. That was equally confusing for the, for the school.
0: <laughs> while I sing this song, if anybody feels a stirring, I'm going to just come down here. You're either going to hear me sing it or the piano player will be uh, subversively playing it while it sounds like it's not it. but either
3: way, come on down.
1: Either way, you're
0: going
3: to get. And, uh, it. But in terms of the tension, it, I think the tension was, I feel like what, what might have been a bit of a tinge of sadness for my mom was that. There was this other life that I was building and this other community that was being that I was being kind of grafted into. And it's not like anyone was trying to take me away from my family, but, I, you know, your worldview changes completely. Your priority shifts, you know, shift even as a young kid. Um, they shifted dramatically from then on. I was kind of like ruined for everything else. And I found all these things that I was interested in before, I just found them incredibly boring. But my mum was—I think my mum was really, really grateful because I definitely had the personality that—that that had something like this not happened in my life that I would probably be the person that, where other major events happened that weren't necessarily conducive to a good future. I was definitely that kid. Like I loved to—I um, loved to get in trouble. So I think my mum was half relieved, and then there was this noticeable well, I don't really know what my my son does with his life when he goes out because I don't fully understand what's going on in the inside.
1: That's got to be so weird because at this point, my kids are young enough and they're still at the point where like, I kind of know everything that's going on in their life. Like if they say some kind of random thought, I can kind of connect the dots and be like, oh, I bet, I bet she said that because we watched this one movie and I overheard this when she was playing with whatever. But yeah, it's got to be weird to... Get to that point where, like, you you don't really know everything that's going on in your kid's life, you know. But I'm jumping ahead. I want to I want to go back and um, talk marriage world. So you guys are both married. My wife and I we've been married for let's see, fourteen years now. So she was kind of with me when I started going out on the road, and she's not a musician or an artist, but she was with me on the road for years and years and years like seven years so she now that we have kids she stays home but she still knows like i can be on the road and say we're at this club and she's like oh yeah i remember that green room or whatever you know which is really helpful but i think there there's got to be pros and cons to having a spouse that's in in the business or not in the business so i'm curious Scott married Brooke, like what is it, what's the dynamic like there? And is it, do you guys have any kind of rules that you've had to set so that it doesn't get, you know, too competitive or or what? what is that whole world like? I'm fascinated with that.
3: Well, what's really good about Brooke and I is that we've never had a power struggle in our marriage. Like I do not want to be Brooke, you know, like I just don't, I don't want everything that she has to deal with. Like it's just never been my lane to run in. So for context, yes, I write, I write songs, but that's where that's where my involvement in music like stays. I don't play on a stage. I have actually no desire to. One time, one time, I I I got up and tried to lead one of my songs in church, and it was an absolute disaster. Like it was the fail of all fails. And so I was. That was the ending, the start, and the end of my career. But with Brooke, with Brooke, and Dave knows Brooke because they've worked together. And um, Brooke is just incredibly, uh, like, she's an easygoing person. She's such an easygoing person. One thing that's been to our credit is that Brooke's life is so demanding that I noticed that a lot of the times in, uh, you know, with marriages, there's like this, even this struggle, like, I want to get, you know, I, I want to do this thing, um, but you know my spouse doesn't doesn't understand, or is is like, well, you've got to be home with, with the kids every day, or you've got to do this, and there's that these struggles of priorities. We've never had that because Brooke's life is so demanding that if I need if I need space, she's like, absolutely. Like you know, there's there's give. There's been so much give on either side that it actually works really well. We do have rules. We definitely have rules. One of the rules is that uh, we don't cry. We don't cry wolf is one of the the things. So we don't, if we're having a bad day, we we put it in that box. So rather than make long-term decisions or even mid-term decisions like, well, this season's not working, let's change everything. We don't do that. We we take a step back. We always will make that decision. If something needs to change, we'll make it, we'll give it a few days before actually implementing changes. But then on the other hand, if just say, Brooke, Brooke um, we're never away from each other for longer than maybe two weeks ever. Um, we never travel away, so we make it work. And, that, and, and whoever's it's easiest for to, to make the change will make the change, you know, talking about logistically. So if I'm working on a project where I can't travel, then she'll be like, you know what? And she's got this these calendar dates. She'll be like, she'll say no to a few of them so she can come home in between it but if she if she's got stuff that's lined up that we said you know a year in advance that she was going to do i can't i don't i won't just drop personal project in the middle of that and then try and make it work and then the last thing that we do have is that if i mean this this makes sense in context if you know brooke personally and how actually easygoing she is as a person is if either of us was to ever ring each other up and be like you know she could be in south africa and she's just like i need you i'd be on the next flight out We always have that. We've always said we've got that card and even if that meant putting two kids on a flight and getting there because just you need it and because we've had that, we've never used it ever, you know. We've never used it because, you know, it's just not our personality. But knowing that you have that from the other person, that each other are a priority and what we're doing is not the priority, it somehow makes the separation and the sacrifice and everything that we all go through that we know, you know, behind what everybody sees. Is the real stuff that makes a marriage having that in your back pocket definitely is? I feel like is our a little secret that helps.
0: What is y'all's dynamic like? Like, is your with your wife and, and career and all of those things?
2: Uh, so my wife is is the best. Um, you know, she's when people meet us, she's definitely everyone's favorite, like ninety nine percent of the time, and the one percent is just someone who's socially confused. Um, <laughs> and so she's Canadian. And we met in uh, about would have been fifteen, sixteen years ago. We've been married for thirteen years. She's the sweetest person in the world. She lights up every room. She did the first time we met. Um, she still does today. Um, and she's not a musician. So like, you've got like Brooke and Scotty. Like Brooke, incredible uh, singer songwriter. My wife has been in one Christmas pageant, and that's that's the extent of it and so we don't have that that dynamic but she's also very creative like she's an incredible writer and a great uh, communicator we do have the dynamic of like you know like most marriages trying to work out how to balance uh, priorities how to balance schedules and for me like you know she's been so such a encourager and believer in in my music and writing and and, and everything that um you know i've been putting my hand to for you know that during our marriage um and so the challenge then for for me is, is to make sure that I'm as releasing as she's been, um, as encouraging in all the gifts that like God's put on her life. Um, and not just the, the tangible things that she, she is doing, but also, um, I think it's, you know, the, the responsibility that we have as spouses is to try to create space for the, uh, the glory of God to be realized in, in our spouse and in the life of our spouse. And, and so that that practically just keeps evolving, but um, it's trying to carve out time, trying to carve out space. Like I absolutely love my family, um, like I love my kids. Like that to me is like my reward at the end of the day is to to get time with them. And you know, I think that side of it's actually been kind of cool too because uh, like I love that time, so it, that can create more space as well um, in in that dynamic as well.
1: Dave, you know, my family and I have really been trying to make a shift into cleaner eating. Yep. And we have discovered that it is so hard to find consistent, convenient, high-quality meat. Yep. Like grass-fed beef. Yep, one. Free-range organic chicken. Two. Don't and say wild cut salmon. I was about to say wild cut oh, salmon yep. at the grocery store. Yep. You can't find it.
0: Well, do I have the solution for you? Luckily, today's sponsor, ButcherBox, can meet that need because everyone deserves high-quality, humanely-sourced meat. Mm-hmm. And special offer alert. <laughs> you knew it was coming. If you sign up now, you get two New York strip steaks and one pack of bacon for free. And here are the two words that I heard the most in that sentence, bacon and
1: free. I hear a romantic evening ahead with those steaks, Johnny. Mm-hmm. So, Butcher Box will curate and ship a selection of high quality meat right to my house. No, right there. I don't even have to leave. No. Each box has nine to 11 pounds of meat, Dave. Jeez. That's enough for 24 individual servings. That's enough for our house to have high quality meat for every meal we eat at home. For a year and a half. For, a year, for 18 months. Butcher
0: yeah. Box is a no-brainer. It's the best meat shift right to my door. Options like 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork. And if there's one thing I told Annie this morning, don't bring any pork in here unless it's heritage. Mm-hmm. I want to know the family right. line. Yeah. Wild-caught well, Alaskan salmon and sugar-nitrate-free bacon. It's truly the way meat should be.
1: So for a limited time, Butcher Box is offering new members two New York strip steaks mm. and one pack of bacon for free, free. as you said. Free in your first box. So just go to butcherbox.com/dadville.
0: That's butcherbox.com/dadville to get 2 New York strip steaks and one pack of bacon for free in your first box. It was a, i'll never forget this was one of the most profound things i've ever heard uh, a couple of years ago at church the women's ministry uh leader at our church got up and she was addressing sunday school like it was a collective sunday school meeting like where all the sunday schools come together and 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 sort of there's one sunday school for that morning instead of you know the ones across campus or whatever and she said she said you know men i want to talk to you for a second cuz it was kind of like an update on what's going on in the church and how we would be doing under the sea as a special music thing. And she just wanted to buy on board. But, <laughs> but after she talked about that, she, uh, she said, you know, something I would love, I really need you guys to understand, especially as husbands is the women's ministry is a really important thing. And I think some, a discipline that you guys are going to have to really understand is it is, it is for you creating time and encouraging your wives to go participate in this ministry will be a discipline and a sacrifice. And it's not something that you need to sort of encourage them. On the side but that you need to be really active in creating that space for and i was really moved by that because i think it's really easy for me to feel like i got all this stuff i got to do and then annie my wife can kind of get the scraps of that sometimes Mm. um and it was just such a good work so like you know that that is something that i'm going to have to sacrifice for it's something i'm going to potentially have to create space for for her to go do that will take space out of my life which sounds really elementary and probably I was like the only guy nodding. and Everybody's like, you just getting the snowboard?" <laughs> um But, but I remember it being really profound and it's something I've really lived by. Like I know Annie wanted to do this Bible study. Uh, she's done three different Bible studies where she's taking girls from freshman to senior year um, of high school. And, you know, it was, she was going to do another one and that's, you know, it's a pretty big commitment. And I just heard that. And I think if I hadn't, that'd have been a lot harder of a decision for both of us than going, you know what? No, like this is, I need to create that. That's going to cause some sacrifice for me, whatever. But, um, I think that's really beautiful. So speaking about families work and this thing, how has this year, I mean, Scott, we kind of talked about this a little bit before. Can y'all speak to how this year has affected your families? Like, like what are y'all thinking about now? having been home and haven't been, I'm assuming y'all have have you been, have you stayed in the States, Scott? Have you, have y'all gone home? No, no, we're, we're in Orange County. Yeah. So I thought so, so, you know, what, what has that been like for both of y'all's families? And what are some of the big takeaways that y'all have felt, especially in sort of, you know, around the family unit?
2: Well, here in Australia, um, it would have been March, April, like we went into like really heavy lockdowns, you know, every, you know, workplace is closed. Um, people are at home. Um, you know, you pretty much can only travel out for limited essential purposes. And so what was like, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of fear at that, that time. And, um, you know, I, I remember going up to the, the store just to buy groceries and walking in and feeling like this sort of, I guess it's kind of an anxiety just to back and wow, like this feels kind of heavy, like people are stressing out and it's just like a wild time. Um, so you had that on one hand, but then, you know, we'd, we'd go down to the park um, and because you're allowed out to exercise, that was an essential purpose. And so we'd take the kids out to just run around. And what was kind of, really beautiful at the same time so you have this kind of extreme sort of fear and anxiety but then on the other hand like looking around the park there's all these like family units that I'd never seen together in that park and they're playing like they've got out like you know people are learning how to play bocce like people are like learning all these like kind of new family games that um they used to play in the 60s um but and there and there it is in the park this beautiful picture of like of all these family units and um I remember Carolina I saying like, "Man, this is kind of cool. Like, I hope we, I hope we don't lose this on the other side of, of whatever you know is, is after this COVID thing." And um, I know for our family dynamic, like we had kind of we were never the homeschooling types, but this has confirmed the fact that we are not the homeschooling types. We did a season where you know we had like our our guy Harps, who's um, eighties and grade two at school. He's there. He's on the laptop. He's doing his schoolwork. Then we had the other two, like they're um, four and and two at the time. And so it's just absolute mayhem. We're trying to get things done. It's like, you know, let's just say the quality of teaching, it wouldn't be government approved.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a great way to say that. I am right there with you. I I do want to say just as a
0: quick asterisk, don't you feel like fast forward 10 years? worst 20, 30 years. And somebody's in a very, they're they're, You know, our kids are all grown up there and they like mid thirties going some coffee shop meeting a new friend. And somebody's like, I mean, you know, it reminds me of world war two and what happened in the States. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like world war two. And the, do you know that? No, I don't know what that is. So like, Oh wait a second. When would I have learned that? Yeah, that was the quarantine for us. Oh no, it's okay. It's okay. You should go back and read about
2: that. that, like, that was yeah, like pretty it's a massive chasm in education. And the yeah, other thing is gonna... like, you know, like dads, a classic dad thing to do is just to have a crack, you know, like make up make up a, a reason, make up an answer. And so you've got like all of this like 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 dad theory that's been taught to kids. And it's like it's shockingly inaccurate, like not grounded in any any discipline or any genre of learning and so there's a whole lot of misinformed kids that are going to go on to be presidents and, and surgeons. they're going to be like cutting open going oh hold on a second my dad <laughs>
0: <laughs> shouldn't there be a carburetor in here oh no it's a yeah. like human i can't think of two words that are more terrifying put together than dad theory <laughs> <Dad> yeah
2: <theory. laughs>
0: I mean, that's like if there is one course at university you do not want to get anywhere near, it is is dad theory. That's got to be like the worst course. The guy just kind of pontificates for an hour every time. There's never a lesson. He's like, you know what? As he smokes, you know what I was thinking about? (laughs) Why can't we have a, and then just fill in the blank? Why can't a car run on broccoli?
2: Because you know, what's more important in that theory is confidence. Like knowledge is relatively <laughs> secondary. Confidence is everything. Yeah. The theory is important. That's all you need. Oh, man. That well, it's me. like
1: as kids when we were growing up, you, know, you do reach that point where you realize that your parents are just human beings. Yep. Right. That you're supposed to realize that maybe you know, in your 20s or so, early <laughs> 20s, something like that. My kids are realizing that you know, at five and seven right now. And, they, and that's going to be earth-shattering for them. There's a, the illusion is supposed to stay up for another 10-plus years. But there, my my daughter, Luca, is looking at me struggling with her homework, being like, oh, there's no hope for any of us. We're all on our <laughs> own right now.
3: And the great myth is that somehow we've all read the book before our kids are born. And you're like, no, 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 we read it when they leave home. Like, like right. that, That's when you finish the book. That's why there's so many... like. Uh, uh, dad theories but grandparents are full of wisdom right because oh, it's yeah. the second round it's the second round you kind of figure it out
0: yeah they bites the totally. first ones yeah the first <laughs> one you just you're flying blind it's got what i know you said that y'all have there's been like some pretty monumental things you've learned in this time
3: in Yeah, this ben and Carolee, we're, our family's really close like we got two little girls my eldest will be five this week and um and my youngest is two uh three years old she's turned three years, last month but we're really close as it is. We, we always try and, make, I mean, we're busy, but even when we're touring or whether we're, we're traveling, like our kids are never far from us. Uh, we always make sure, we've, we've basically created a life where we can include our kids. What's been really special though is, is just the amount of time we've got at home. And I say this with sensitivity because I understand that this year has not been the same for everybody. And I think that I think that I'm aware of that, um, even if we've had an incredible time for other people because of, uh, of certain factors. Maybe your year's not the same. Who so are listening to, to this. But uh, for us, I think one of the things that went well for us is we decided early on that this might take a while and that we weren't going to wait it out, that the idea is like, you know, I, I, hate, I hate people throwing around the word new normal because we know that's not going to be true because at some point the world is going to open up again and we're all going to be doing different things with our day. But, but we did look at it like um, we're not going to pine or mourn for, for whatever we can't do. Let's, we wrote down a list of all the things that we can do now rather than things that we couldn't do. We just got a sheet of paper. We're like, what are all the things that we can do? So we had, a ton, we, had we did a ton of things, but it's, I don't know. There's there's new endeavours that we started and things as a family and, you know, we, we started to explore our neighbourhood a little bit more and we found, like, you know, things like that. But there's other little things that was – that were the most special one of the things that our kids really love both my girls are really creative they love to draw they love to color and things like that so we did something simple um where we do uh, five uh, you know five o'clock on friday no matter what happens with the week um you know we do a family movie night but they it's like a it became a big event like in our in our weekly schedule where family movie night on Friday night and the kids would, I mean, they would argue and they would discuss all week about what's, what movie we're going to watch. And then every single Friday night they 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 draw these posters for the movie for that week, you know, and they colour it in. And then we, every single week we set up a candy bar and, and they have to host, you know, Brooke and I, and it's like our date, but it's also they host the movies. And, and it has, like it's the little things like that that became so massive in our in our year, and I remember somebody said early on, um, take as many photos as you can during this year because one day when we're twenty years old, we're gonna like people are gonna be like, like, what was it like when no everyone was wearing mask? You know, like we've we've accepted it, but like, it's so otherworldly. If you if you stop and think about it for more than ten seconds, like what Ben alluded to when you go to the grocery store, you're like, this is so otherworldly to say, even you know, seven months ago. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up dating all of these posters. So we've got a year's worth of these posters with these movies, you know, Disney movies, uh, movies that they just they like. We oh, haven't seen this movie, and and it's all dated. And we've, and uh, they've chronicled our entire year through all these incredible artworks, and um, and we've saved them all. And I don't know what we're going to do with them. And then we've just been um, taking photos and and documenting everything. And it's been it's actually amazing because I felt like. You know that that little perspective shift that we took at the start, going, well, let's let's figure out all the things that we can do now that we don't have to do X, Y, and Z. And as much as we miss X, Y, and Z, we've just gained A, B, and C, and that's been the biggest change. It's been amazing.
0: I love that. It has. I do feel like um, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. I do feel like a lot of the friends, a lot of the conversations I've had with friends, I mean John and I included, have been about things that we want to take away. You know, kind of like things that we're like, why well, are we doing that? Let's not do that anymore. You know what I mean? (laughs) Kind of like let's stop doing all of those things again. So I want to talk. We want to talk about the book too. So this is one of the things that I I loved. I loved about the the children's book you guys just put out. Which, by the way, Scott, the drawings on the front. The I mean, killer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, that flex is a little frustrating, but we'll, I'll digress from that. Um, (laughs) I was like, Oh, look at me. I can draw too. Um, (laughs) one of the things that, that I love that you guys talk about in there is this idea that worship is wonder, which I love that. I think as a dad, what an, what a huge calling for us to lead our kids that way, you know? And I think not only just that they would wonder, but I think obviously said in this example, that we wonder that we are still in wonder that our kids can look at their dads and go like, man, dad, I do that so much. And it can get a little embarrassing how much I try to make sure they're a part of it. You know, like being outside one night and the stars look amazing, but just go, gosh, look at that guys. Like, this is amazing. Look at the stars and how you can see some and you can't see others and how, what is that, you know, so that there's this place to do that. But I was thinking about one of the things that I think is so profound about that message, especially right now, is it sort of feels like we're all supposed to know what we're doing all the time. You know, it's like if, if there's anything that's been tricky, I think about social media, which there's a million, one of them is this idea that everybody's got to have it together. We got to know what we're doing because that's the thing we got to show everybody. And so what I love about the message that you guys are putting forward is it kind of flies in the face of that, because to wonder, you can't have it all together. You can't know everything. You have to have some space to able to be, and wonder. And if you know everything, there's nothing that's wonderful. It's just all like, yeah, totally the stars. Yeah, that's a sunset. Yeah, moving on. You know, but to really able to stop and celebrate that. And I love that. I love that that is such a big part of this. What kind of got y'all to that thought? What what led you to for that being one of the sort of ideas of the book? Well, I think
2: um for all of us, you know, that we have seen like the benefits of uh like generational Leadership, like, and and that's a massive part of our of our environment, is making sure that the that the, the generations coming up underneath us are well set up, that they're that worship is taught, that the the gospel is taught, that that it's easier for the the generations coming up behind us to to catch on to the things of God. And I think worship is a huge part of that. I think the songs that we sing are a huge part of that. For the, Some of the reasons that you're saying, I think worship just blows out our minds open to the possibility of God and the character of God, and, and we we discover that the more we we get to know God, the more we don't know about God. But everything that we do discover is good, and that the more we dig into His grace, for example, the more gracious we discover God to be. And so, um, I think songs play a part in that because I remember like being little, coming leaving church, and and not remembering a lot of the things that I was reading or people were speaking, but but walking out singing the songs and singing little phrases, some of them that didn't fully make sense. And one one example is um as the deer panteth. My friend used to call it the deer and the panther. I just assumed he was right. I was like, that's that's a sick song about animals. Like I love it. But you think back like on on those songs that we sung growing up and they taught they taught me about about God, about the character of God. And so For us, like as songwriters, as people who are passionate about worship, we wanted to to take uh, a song that's significant to our families and to be able to put it in a format where we could help our own kids um, discover a little bit more about why why that what that song's about and the God that it's written about.
0: God, that that was preaching, and you really got me with the Panther (laughs) thing. Like I'm never, I'm never going to hear that song the same.
1: So you you know, we had uh, our friend Andy Grammer on a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the podcast, at the end of the interview, he asked us a question because he has his own podcast. Um, and he, at the end of every interview that he does, he asks, what's the most spiritual experience you've ever had? My answer was having kids. I think for me, having kids and now being a father has like so informed and sort of like filled in some of the little blanks with my relationship with God. And it's sort of given me this other way to, uh, to see it, you know, does that at all inform the way you guys write now that you're both dads, both obviously writing the book, but also songwriting?
3: I would actually absolutely agree with you that, I'd be hard-pressed to find a more spiritual experience than having having daughters. It shifted everything for me, absolutely, like especially with my upbringing and having an absent father. Not an absent father, but an absent father, yeah. so to speak. And, and actually, I'm grateful for the experience that I had because I remember talking to my wife when my first daughter, Dylan, was just born, and I, I remember saying, like, this is the goal. This is it now. Like I was like, this is this is everything. Everything else is a side dish compared to this. And I remember looking at her and, and being like, if I only achieve one thing, like in life, it's going to be to be a present father, you know, because I know that I can't be a perfect father, but a present father. And even before before this, like we've had so much time with our kids this year. And before this, uh, we jumped up here with you guys. I was texting my wife because, I just said, oh my gosh! I was like, for some reason, I really miss our kids today. I think it's because I'm talking so much about them at the moment with the book coming out. And I said, oh, let's scoop them up. Let's do something fun today. But uh, it's funny when you you do ministry or you do you create or you write or anything like that. Like your kids are always in. I mean, this sounds so. I don't mean this to sound ethereal, but they're always in the room with you wherever you do. You're carrying your kids with you, right? Like if you're on a plane you know, every thirty minutes your, your kids' faces will pop into your head. If you're if I'm writing a song at some point like my mind will drift to my kids and they become almost like a a filter in which you start to see the world in a weird way, right? Like through the eyes of like how am I living or the choices I'm making today, is it setting them up for a win or a failure? Is what I'm putting out in the world, is it is it gonna be a world that I want my kids to live in? And I often I actually often wonder about that, about you know, people in the world who are putting out stuff that's like, I don't want to judge what people people's motives are, but I feel like sometimes there's a disconnect, right, especially in the art community where I'm like, man, that, that art, your kid's listening to that song. Your kid's looking at that movie or your kids, your kid knows that, that exists and that you created it. And sometimes when it's the opposite of what I'm trying to put into the world, like I find that such a, a, a confusing paradigm. To be a parent that you're trying to raise your kids with a certain morals, but then you're putting out art or you're putting out songs or you're putting out music or anything into the world that is counter to what you're trying to teach the culture in your home. So, you know, I always endeavor to do the opposite of that, right? I want to create the world I want my my kids to live in and grow up in.
0: What do you feel like is your like dad's superpower? Like if you have one thing, you're like, I'm actually pretty amazing at this one thing, like what is that one thing?
2: The problem, Dave, is that like I feel like it made my kids wouldn't answer the question in the same way. So I, f- I felt like my superpower coming into parenting was going to be humor. Right. Like I thought legitimately, like I was re- like I was reasonably funny, you know? And, um, so I've been like for years, just like laying out some of my best material, like, you know, well-constructed quips, like, you know, stories with like with twists and turns. And then, um, <laughs> I just did a little, every now and then I do a little check-in with my kids to see whether my material's hitting, like whether, you know, so I said the other day, like, who's the funniest in our family? And I said it to my oldest and he was like, probably himself, right? And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's good. I've taught him confidence. So that's kind of a win for me as a dad as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, of course. I was like, who's second? He's like, Leo, like his brother. I'm like, okay, jeez, Um. So he goes through the whole family, like even even Carolee was above me. Like I was last and I was like, Fuck. I said to him, like, am I trying too hard? He's like, probably, Dad. Yeah, probably. Like, okay, so no, like just lower the the effort. Like it, make it feel more, you know, effortless. So I checked in with some of the other kids, same result. So like humor is off the table. So my superpower, I need to find a new one. So I'm actually, I'm shopping. I'm shopping right now. <laughs> new
0: superpower. Don't you love kids? Just
3: unbelievable honesty. They're the best. Yeah, they level you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like like our kids do not like – like I, I always used to laugh because we'll get back on, like I say, a tour bus like after a night and, you know, Ben's been there on so many of these occasions. But, um, you know, Brooke would have stood on stage in front of, you know, 20,000 people or whatever. And then we get back on a bus and your kids just do not care. They don't care. They don't care how cool your clothes are or how many people were like, came out to enjoy these. They do not care. Like uh, you get on the bus and like, we're out of cereal. Deadpan, you know, deadpan. Yeah. We're out of cereal. Drop the ball today, mate. <laughs> you said you're going. You said you're going to get honey nuts. <laughs> Thousands of lives changed. Cereal. Absolutely. While you were up
1: there singing your songs, we were starving
3: on the yeah, bus. Yeah, we literally starving. We're out of cereal. You know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
0: It's the ultimate, like it's the it's the leveler. It's always the it's the great humiliator.
3: Yeah, and I do think that as well. Like, and, and what's really good for us is that obviously that that might seem otherworldly to people about talking about tool buses and stuff. But what you guys know is that like family is just family. It doesn't matter where you are. Like, kids are the great leveler. Like, you are still just mum and dad, unimpressive. You know, feed me, bathe me, entertain me, love me. It's fantastic. I mean, you wouldn't want it any other way. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I'm I'm nervous
0: of the day that my kids might start to think, Hey, that was pretty cool. Or I like that mm-hmm. song you just sang. I'm gonna be like, Oh, I don't know if I like how this is going. This is where you're like, Yeah, whatever, Dad. Can you play uh Baby Shark again for the night? <laughs> <laughs> Did it, so you hear that song I just played to you? It had a metaphor of a rose, but then the rose ends up being lit. You don't care. You've already stopped listening.
3: They <laughs> went under yeah. the sea. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all do. People yeah. what they want.
2: You
1: can't argue with that hook. Ever, ever. So, uh, Ben, you've been a dad for eight years. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I'm warning y'all about this question. This is a really good question, so you need to buckle up. Okay?
3: Yeah. This, We're in.
1: If you guys could go back to the day that you became a dad. Right, you got two minutes to talk to yourself. Clock is ticking. What advice do you give yourself?
2: The truth of it is, John, I don't. I don't really know that. I know a lot more now than I did when we started out. You know, I think like those first two days, and you guys are laughing, but it's kind of true. Um, you know, those first those first two days for me as a dad, like I remember just being absolutely wrecked. Like I felt like my my heart had just been blown wide open, and um and I, I felt like, you know, kind of what you were saying before, like it's an incredibly spiritual experience because I felt like I kind of had this like new understanding of like the the heart of God for for everybody, for people. And um, I would probably tell myself just to to relax a little bit more about, you know, we had been reading like a lot of books about parenting and trying to prepare and, you know, and I felt like every book said something different. I was getting more confused the more I read and... And I just kept telling like Carly, I was like, I think you know, at least we're trying. Like that's got that puts us in like a good, you know, we're in the upper, you know, quadrant because we're trying, we're putting effort in here. And I think I just say to myself, just relax a little bit. And um, and I think the like loving, like loving my kids, like and individually loving my kids, like working out what it is that um that makes them, you know, who they are, and um, and giving them the space to. To just develop and and to develop empathy and to develop all of the the beautiful characteristics that are in them already, um, and just bring them to the fore, and um, and then loving, Carolee, you know, like it, just keeping that priority, you know, creating that space to to keep like romancing my wife because like my boys, I've got my, my oldest two of my boys, and um and they watch that, and so like my um, my oldest. He wants to, when he was about four, he was like, I want to take you on a date like daddy does to my wife. And so he, um, he came out one night, he's dressed up, he's got a hat on, he's got a tie, he's got a jacket. And I was like, geez, he's showing me up. Like, um, he's dressed, he's dressed so well, he's got a little wallet with 20 bucks and he, he takes like Carly down for sushi. And I was like, you know, now looking back on that, I'm like the impact that just the way, what I do, the way I carry myself is going to have on my kids. You know, just to be really intentional about the sort of culture that I'm creating in our home and the sort of things that I'm bringing into it.
0: By the way, just a quick aside before you answer, Scott, just to encourage both of y'all, I love that you both have said that word "culture" in your home because it really—that's uh, such a good word. Like I, I can't highlight that word enough for everybody who's listening, including myself sitting here now. It—it's the truth. As a dad, you know, you're one of the two culture creators of your home. You know, life is either a response, or I feel like, you know, we're either Trying to create and initiate or responding, and there's students for both. But I do think that is such a good word. I love that. That's so fun to see the simpatico of both of y'all using that word because it's so true.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with Ben. I'm I'm only five years into parenting, but like if I could go back the night that uh, my firstborn, Dylan, came into the world and have this incredible memory of um, she was resting, and you know the first night. A lot of times they take babies and they put it into the nursery, and I was just so excited that um, I was bugging the nurse and being like, "Can I see? Can I see my daughter?" And and Dylan was asleep in those little like kind of plastic, you know, bucket things that on the wheels, you know, that you that they wheel them around in, like a shopping trolley in the hospital. <laughs> and so she goes, "Well, why don't you walk your baby in that? Like, just because they like you know walk walk her around the the ward." And she'll be rocked to sleep and so i was i was there and i was just pushing this little that little bucket on wheels around and one of the nurses who was on on call i think she had recognized um, who brooke was and and she knew that we were christians and stuff and so she actually came and she walked with me for a little while and it was just so nice it was probably one or two in the morning and it was really quiet in the hallways and and i remember she turned to me at one point and she goes you know she goes you know we had been talking for a few minutes and and i'd told her how you know over the moon i was overwhelmed but just so excited and when she turned to me at one point and she said you know what like just know that like kids are designed to survive amateur parents she's like it's how we're designed and she's like so don't worry about it like we're designed to we're all designed to survive amateur parents and i remember in that moment feeling such relief because obviously every new dad you know will always testify about how overwhelmed you're like oh my goodness like the only thing, and so if I if I could go back and talk to myself, I'd remind, you know, what she said. But also I would add to it is that I would say this to anyone who's listening as well. I think there's two dynamics to parenting. One is what you said about the culture. Um, but the culture is, I also have always firmly believed and I look at my wife. Um, because obviously having two daughters, but I look at my wife and I'm like, so much to being a parent, yes, is setting the culture and setting the rules and teaching them manners and teaching them um, values and things like that. And obviously teaching them um, to walk in the footsteps of Christ and things like that. But also so much, such a dynamic is what you're modelling to your kids about how you yourself view life. So one thing that I'm really blessed with is like, my girls look up to my wife because she's modeling and it's not about having a profile or having an audience or having anything like that it's actually having somebody who's big spirited who's generous who's whose outlook like you said dave on the world is full of wonder like my wife is it's not like she's gotten to 36 years old and being like all right well i'm just going to be a mom like my kids are looking at my mom and being like i want to be like this person and i think it's a huge dynamic sometimes that is is missing that in in the parenting conversation and i want to be that as a dad like i want to be the type of person that my you know I've heard this a lot but like I want to be the type of person that I want um, my girls to one day marry and my wife lives a life that my girls want to emulate and that takes out a huge portion of having to set a culture because it's modelled and so I feel like that's a that's the only other bit of advice I'd give myself from two like going back two years is just to continue to live a life that models the type of person you want your kids to be, not just teach them the type of kids that you want them to be, or the type of people.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that I, I put too much importance on like, what I'm going to say in this moment, just things mm-hmm. that I say. And I think in general, I'm like, my kids aren't really listening to what I'm saying, but they're, <laughs> they're looking at what I'm doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they're going to they're gonna remember that for sure. Totally. But that two-minute you know, speech that I'm giving them right now, they're not listening.
3: Totally. Like Ben didn't. Ben didn't teach his his son how to how to take a woman on a date. Yeah. He, sh- he showed his son how to take a woman on a date, and he never had to. He never had to use the lesson. Yeah. God,
0: that's profound. All of this preaches, but I think, man, does that really preach? Oh my God, does that preach? You know, I think um as dads, example, you know, just literally the things you do, which is exactly your point, John. We talk about this a lot. I know you and I, but you know, we, we, I'm always like, I feel like I'm giving some speech that I'm impressing myself. As I said, I'm like, I am nailing every sentence. Like <laughs> literally like everything I've said is amazing. And then I get done and they're like, did you say we're having pizza or hamburgers? And I'm like, <laughs> it's so true. you know, but then, you know, just to be reminded that, I mean, what a beautiful story, Ben, that is, I mean, that challenges the crud out of me. Um, I should probably stop. Doing karate at night. The kids are starting to pick up. I do solo karate at night. And that's something I do need them to pick up on. Blessings uh, are anything. Sadder? That's
1: actually been a huge blessing in my life. Yes. Yeah. You're I've taken a lot away because you, you do it out on your front porch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do. I just realized that we've come up with two really sad words together dad theory and solo karate. I don't know if there's anything sadder
1: than those two words. Which side note? You talk about how you're feeling about your own speech, but one of the great things about parenting is when your spouse, or when I'm doing it, when I catch myself, I'm kind of in the middle of a speech to the kids, and I and I'm getting a little tripped up a little bit, and Amy will just kind of, Amy from across the room will just kind of like look up at me and be like, No, 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 what else? What else? Where are you going with that? Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs>
0: the kids have been gone for three minutes you're still sort of talking to the corner of the room yeah like, Amy's like
1: run? sweetie the kids are at my parents this week <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, it's a dry run this is a dry run I'm just trying to get everything situated. <laughs> just working
1: up. some material up
0: <laughs> yeah. That's oh my gosh or or this is happening to me too where I, I nail some fact you know they're like yeah, yeah. how did this happen and I get done and Amy immediately is like none of that is actually right kids come over here and let me tell you what really happened I'm like <laughs> world war i I remember more about world war you
1: tuned daddy out immediately but i actually got this one right
0: (laughs) oh my gosh so okay so we kind of have two last questions we sum up the these interviews with these are two of my favorite questions and i'm pretty sure john came up with both things these but so each of y'all tell me this so what is the thing that will make you feel like a successful dad like what's the thing
2: well, I don't know. Like every, every night um, I pray over my boys and um, over my daughter and I probably just to see those, those prayers come to fruition in their life. And um, like I pray that they would be like strong of heart, that they would um, be courageous, um, that they would know the right thing to do and that they would have the confidence and um, courage to do it and that they would love well. And that they would be loved wherever they go, and so ultimately, like I think, I just want to see my kids full of full of life, like full of uh, possibility, and in environments where where they're encouraged and that they're given opportunity. So to me, I think like you know, being planted in a in a great church is really important, um, and building community around our family, like great aunties and uncles, unofficial aunties and uncles, but that like you know teach. And again, like kind of model like a way of living that is gonna like expand the worldview of my kids. If that's happening along the way, then I feel like that's kind of that's kind of success.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's not much to more that I could add to that to a quick an answer like that. Mine's really small though. I just remember saying to my wife, because it was I didn't always grow up in a household where this was the case. Well, with my mom, it was the case, but I remember when I found out I was having two girls, because I both times I thought they were gonna be boys and they both came out as girls, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, like, my, my plan's out the window. I feel like I know how to raise boys, but I have no idea how to raise girls. And I remember saying to, to Brooke um, one night, I just said, there's one thing I'm committing to, like, right now for the to the day I die, is that every, every single time my girls walk into the room, they're going to see a smile on my face, like, they're going to know that I'm happy to see them. And it's been the one constant, like, Every day, whenever they walk into the room, dear, they, they, no matter even if they're getting, you know, I have to discipline them, the first thing they see is a smile because I thought if I get that one thing right, they're going to know that they're wanted and hopefully it covers the rest of my inadequacies, you know, <laughs> this one thing. It's that one thing. My dad was always, always happy to see me.
1: I love that. Okay, so last question. This one's kind of heavy. So. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? False alarm.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. In the
1: podcast now.
0: <laughs>
1: Just continue with the stand-up.
0: Oh, my gosh. Guys, we're so sorry. And first of all, it means a lot. A lot of you came from far away. And look, that's on us. That's on us. Uh, so, fun fun story. We, uh, Dad uh, is, in fact... Not in the he's not dead. Uh, he's backstage having some uh cookies that he said he's loved and he's glad that they were here, but he is not dead. (laughs) So we can do a dry run if I once get up and kind of say what they think they would say. He could hear welcome to the rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) False alarm that doesn't mean you don't have to answer the question.
2: I would feel happy if they said that they felt loved, you know, they felt believed in, um, they felt like. I didn't limit them. Like I gave them, you know, I opened the world up to them. And if they felt like I loved their mum, well, I feel like that would be that would be a win. That would be mission accomplished.
0: Jeez didn't limit them. What a profound statement. Yeah. Good night. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that's really good. Sorry, just about, that's a lot. <laughs> I was stuck on that as well. Holy. We've asked a lot of a lot of people that question. It's really funny. People ask
3: nobody. Oh man, that's gonna make me laugh the rest of the day. I hope that my kids say that who who probably and I would say this for both myself and my wife that um, who people think we are publicly that we were the real deal behind doors. I know that a lot of time in ministry. A lot of kids grow up and that's not always the case. They're like, unfortunately, everyone loved my parents outwardly, but inwardly home life was a lot different. We've always said that, um, that um, you know, not ministry starts in the home, but, you know, our ministry is our home. Everything, it spills out from there, you know, so it's not the stepping stone that you, that you, you step first step and then step into the world. It's like, no, you just step there and then God takes it out from there. But... I would hope that um, I would hope that my kids say that he was that uh, you know the Jesus I preached about and and the Jesus that I saw um, my dad worship in private was the same. He was the same, the same approach and things like that. And and I would also steal Ben's answer as well. You know, all of it. <laughs> the false alarm as well. But you know. I think for me, a big value of, of me is that, like, you know, who I am in, in the home is is who I, who I say I am in the world. And who I am at home is the same thing and that my kids would testify to that because there is a lot there's a lot of um, temptation to achieve outside of the home, especially for men, right? I want to build something. I want to create something. I want to achieve something, you know, and then you've got these amazing works of art right right on your couch.
0: mm yeah. mm-hmm. Man. Jeez, guys. Aussie's coming with the heat. So that was
1: the quote unquote last question, but I do have, this is all leading up to kind of the crux of the whole interview. If I could take us even deeper and really go for the jugular here. The coffee game in Australia is very strong. It's strong. Very. And uh, now are you guys coffee drinkers here? Yes. I guess I should start. Okay, good. So very much so. So to my wife and I's, Two of our like best friends live in Australia, uh, Bobby and Lois Stamper, and that's Lauren for everyone listening. But in Australia, they shorten everything and throw a Z on there, right? Yep, so she goes by Lazi. It's, it's much easier. So we had to hear about how strong the coffee game was and how terrible it was in the states for years because we all met in college, mm. and uh, and then we finally Amy and I took the trip down to Australia and we tasted some of, some of your espresso, and it's another level. And so we've made several trips down to Australia now, and it's quote-unquote to see our friends, but really we're just going down there just to drink the espresso. So I have to selfishly take this opportunity to ask, on my, my next trip down to Sydney, like what is the best of the best?
3: Wow.
2: I'm going to say uh, coffee alchemy. Coffee alchemy. And so they I'm have welcoming. a spot called Gumption in the Strand in Sydney. I think it's the best espresso-based coffee in the world. Gumption. I'm literally writing it down right now. And if you want, if you want a a well-priced coffee closer to home, Barista Parlor, like it's only like forty five dollars for a coffee. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the fact that you don't have to hop on a plane to come down to Sydney, you're actually you're saving money.
1: Yeah. Yep, But the good thing is you, you pay 45 bucks, but you also get to hang out and wait for 45 minutes. So it's only a dollar a minute. And
0: get judged while you wait. That's the real right. fun. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my friends literally <laughs> was in there, uh, a, a girlfriend of mine, and she was pregnant. And she asked if they had non-caffeinated coffee, decaf. And the lady looked at him, or the guy, of course, because any woman, there's no way they would have done this. But he was like, "Uh, no, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> and she was like,
1: okay. And he's
0: like, yeah, sorry. I was like, gosh, guys, man.
1: Yeah. That's some the heat. In strong in there.
0: Yeah. It's really strong guys. Thank y'all so much. And congrats on the book. It's, it's wonderful and sweet. And as we said before, it's really beautiful. I love what you guys are communicating. And I think it's such a great chance. That's one of the things I love having children, children's books changed obviously mm-hmm. so much. And it's, it's always a joy to get to sit and read. You know, and especially especially books like this that have such a wonderful uh, message, and obviously all songs and you know that the world sings. Oh yeah, I've got some great ideas, by the way. Uh, once we hang up, I'll send them. It's it, they're great. Um, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to say them right now because I, like I might steal them. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank y'all so much for hanging in your time. And, yes. and I mean, Ben, what is it? Still four thirty a.m. There, <laughs> what is it? <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah, it's actually five thirty now, so it's great. I'm starting (laughs) to come up. (laughs)
0: Beautiful. Are you ready for the interview now? Yeah. Yeah, That'd be great. (laughs) I do have this nightmare that like I'm gonna get through one of these and look down on little red buttons, like not doing it. I'm like, oh. All you wonderful, beautiful,
1: kind people. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please
0: follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast.
1: Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Dadville.